Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we're going to do a romance question and answer. And our first set of questions comes from Harmony and Company Writing Locker. I hope that it's very informative. So the first question is, how do you write sexual tension? Good romance stories have great buildup, so any tips? I think the most important thing you do with your characters when you're starting a romance is, is look at their physical chemistry in scenes and how uh, this is earlier we, we, we talked about character profiles and this is when character profiles are super important you need to know how your characters are going to respond to casual touches because casual touching and intimacy is what builds um and personal intimacy not sexual intimacy is what builds sexual tension um for all the fact that uh Courting Hermione Granger has no sexual, outright sexual content in it. I believe that um, I did a really good job of ramping up the sexual tension between them, despite her chastity and despite her desire to remain a virgin until she got married. Um, with, with touching and eventually with kissing. And it's really, uh, it's really important to know how your characters are going to respond, what's what's going to make them comfortable, what's going to make them uncomfortable, what is their history? Do they have a history of um, being abused in some fashion in a sexual manner? Knowing that um, up front will determine how your character moves and responds to other characters in scenes. And that kind of movement in, in a scene is, I think, one of the more difficult parts to master as a writer. Having your characters um, physically interact with each other, um, bond with each other, respond to each other, um, be in the same space. And if I was not doing this particular podcast for this audience. This is where I would go off the rails and spend 25 minutes talking about the amazing physical chemistry that takes place between Hannibal and Will in Hannibal, <laughs> the TV show. But I won't. But that's, you know, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. But this kind of um, physical chemistry, I think, also is the reason why the Harmony relationship is so popular. Because Emma Watson and Daniel Radcliffe apparently had really great physical chemistry in the movies. I've only ever seen clips of the movies on YouTube. And, you know, of course, YouTube videos, like, you know, you know music videos and stuff where people have done fan videos of the pairing. Because I've never actually watched the movies in full. I've watched little bits and pieces here in there but um what i have seen does indicate that they have a great deal of personal chemistry um which translated really well on screen and that kind of personal chemistry um is super important when you're making um when you're creating characters having them being comfortable in each other's spaces being comfortable seeking physical affection all of this builds um sexual tension if there's romantic feelings involved and there's physical attraction attraction involved and you want to speak to in your narrative about the physical attraction between them um one of my favorite scenes in, in, in courting hermione granger is after their first date he hugs her and she and she, and she's thinking about how he smells and how attractive he finds it she finds it one of you know honestly for me as a woman um a really good smelling man 
There is nothing honestly more attractive than a man who smells really, really good. Um, it's just that kind of clean masculinity is such, it's so fucking attractive. It's just, it's just amazing. I mean, you know, for me, cause you know, not to be a straight woman about it. <laughs> just, um, so having that kind of, um, um, those little, you know, those little mental moments with your characters is also a good way to build up the, um, the evidence of sexual attraction between your two characters. Um, taking notice of the way they move, the way they smell, the way they smile, um, a little tightening in the chest, the stomach gets a little nervous. You know, just think about how you feel when you meet, when you see someone who's really attractive and put those kinds of action to your, um, um, into your characters. It's also important to, for me anyway, when it comes to sexual attention, to pay attention to consent and to pay attention to body autonomy and to pay attention to, um, to create social cues between my partners so that they know that they're welcome, that they're welcome in that space and to demonstrate that welcomeness in the narrative. So I hope that answers that question. The next question what do you find more people are interested in regarding romance? A slow burn with lots of fumbling around each other or a solid us against the world relationship? Now, I personally would like to set the slow burn trope on fire. I, I for me, anything above 20 or 30K in a slow burn, I'm, I'm done. I'm done because I don't, I don't want that fumbling, uncertain hate in my own interpersonal relationships is to be in, uncertain of my, of my welcome. When that comes with like with my friends, and that could be a product of anxiety. I don't know, but I need to know that I'm welcome and welcome in people's spaces, whether that is um, in a romantic fashion or a sexual fashion or in a friendship way. I just need to know I'm welcome. And I, I need to know that people um, want to interact with me and look forward to seeing me. Um, because if they don't let me know these things with, with various social cues, um, then I start to wonder if I should be there. Should, do, um, um, do they want me to leave? I should probably leave. And then I leave because I get nervous and I get anxious about it. And I'm like, they don't want to talk to me because I'm dumb. And then, you know, because that kind of, <laughs> and that kind of anxiety in your characters leans itself into, um, um, you're just giving yourself just you're creating a 3d character when when you give yourself um, when you give your characters um, um, worries and concerns and um, I'm not saying to turn your characters into a neurotic mess but I am saying that it's important acknowledge uh, that your character is not perfect and should not be perfect and they have concerns and worries and sometimes their concerns and worries are completely irrational you know, so, but I do prefer us against the world. It is honestly my biggest, um, kink as a writer and as a reader, you know, um, it's just, it's just what I prefer us against the world, us against the universe. If it's science, science fiction, just get in and be a team. Um, I do like friends to lovers and I, I don't mean for me, honestly, a slow burn is not about sex. Um, 
and some people, for some people, that slow burn is just how long it takes to get to the sex. And I'm not really concerned about the sex. I want to know, I, um, I want my character, my my favorite character to be secure in, 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 in the love that they have and that they're getting in return. So whether there's ever sex involved or not, I don't care. Just, just tell me that they love each other and everything's going to be okay because that's what I want. I want love, happiness. I don't like under misunderstandings and angst and cheating. And I just, I don't want any of that. I don't, I don't like it. And for some people, a slow burn is 15K because their story is 20. I think, um, and for some people, slow burn is, you know, 80, where the, 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 your pairing might meet at the 80K mark and the story ends at 100. And I'm like, no. So there's no actual def definition. There's no explicit definition of what a slow burn is but i think if your story um if 75 percent of your story your pairing is not together that's a slow burn in in my opinion and i don't like it i mean i've read it and i will continue to read it but it isn't my favorite and there is a point where i'm like nope i'm done i can't and I don't even know what that point is. For you know, for um, for each story, it's a little bit different. If there are other things that are interesting me, you know, or big, you know, if there's really good subplots, or if the romance isn't even the main plot, and I have other things to concentrate on, I'm there. I'm there for it. I'm reading, and it's fine. But if the romance is the whole point, and we're going on 95k and your main characters haven't even had a discussion about going out on a date. I'm done. I've been done. I'm probably not even reading it at this point. I, I don't know. Maybe I went to get a snack and came back and played some Sims and, and shut your story. And it's not your, it, it's kind of your fault. But also I just have a low tolerance, well, you know, a pretty low tolerance for that kind of thing. Um, Anyways, how do you balance and blend romance in a fic where that's not your main genre? <laughs> I discovered that I can't. Earlier, last last year, was it last year? It was last year we wrote Urban Fantasy, right? No, year before? Two years. Two years ago on Rough Trade, we wrote <laughs> Urban Fantasy for November 2017, 2018, 17. Uh, we wrote Urban Fantasy for Rough Trade, 2017. Um, and that was where, you know, my romance had to be a subplot. And if your romance isn't a subplot, it's not Urban Fantasy, it's Paranormal Romance. Well, I discovered that I am terrible at this. That I need a romance first and foremost. Um, so it's just, it's it's not something that I can do with any kind of um, skill. Well, you know... <laughs> I don't think A Subtle Body is a terrible story, but I do feel like it's weaker for not having a deeply romantic subplot. I mean, for having, honestly, I feel like, that, you know, I think it would be a better story if the romance was the main plot and the rest of it was a subplot. So honestly, it would be a better fic if it was paranormal romance, uh, in my opinion. A lot of people like it. I just, ugh, it just, ugh. I mean, so I'm a romance writer and I'm very comfortable as a romance writer and I'm, the, I'm not 2016, really. Wow. It's been, time flies, y'all. Time flies. Um, 
And it's just like, I'm not, I'm not here to try to pretend I'm not a romance writer or I have plans to go beyond being a romance writer. I remember when I was very young, I was in a writing group and I was asked, um, um, when do you think you'll get over this romance writing and start writing um, real fiction? And I remember being really deeply uncomfortable and embarrassed um, in that moment to be a romance writer. And I'm like, and now I look back on myself and I'm like, honey, oh, fuck that noise. You're a romance writer. It's fine. But I was young then. And, you know, when you're young, and this was going to, and this came from a woman, not from a man, like many of, I think you were probably assuming. It, she called it junk. Um, and I... I said, yes, and I'd recently signed a, a book contract. Um, and, you know, uh, if, I don't remember how I felt about meeting her again, but I remember being so proud of my contract and not wanting to discuss it with her because I didn't want her to ruin it for me. So I, I just remember like leaving that conversation as quickly as I possibly could to avoid, um, just to avoid her, just to avoid having um, that conversation where she degraded um, something that, you know, is my dream. I mean, I've been, you know, I, I've said before and I'll say again, writers are born. I've always been a writer. Um, and to have someone, to have another writer be so ugly to um, uh, to me about what I chose to to write was really ugly. So, like I said on Twitter the other day, when it comes to toxic people, it's really, it's really, really okay to give yourself a courtesy flush. You don't need them. Um, so I really don't have a question. I really don't have a good answer for you when it comes to writing. Um, that if it's not my your main genre, because I don't right outside of the romance um, genre. And I don't intend to ever um, do anything different. Question number four, what is your favorite type of romantic trope to read and to write? I love second chance at love stories. I like second chance stories. I love time travel. I love soulmates. I am I am here for soulmates to the end of time. It is my headcanon that Harry and Hermione are always soulmates um, in one fashion or another. Uh, I just, I, I just, that's just my headcanon. That's, that's my headcanon. So even when I don't mention in a harmony story that they're soulmates, they're soulmates. It just, it is, it's, it is what it is. Um, so I'm, I'm totally down for soulmate tropes. Um, and I love time, time travel. I freaking love it. It is my favorite thing. Um, and what's really amazing is I really didn't write time travel until I started writing in Harry Potter. And I, I wrote a Stargate story last year. Um, sometime, give a date, I'm going to get it wrong again. Um, that was time travel. And I was like, why am I not writing more Stargate time travel? I love time travel. But magic makes time travel easy and interesting. It's really interesting. Um, so I have a couple. I have probably 10 works in progress or time travel for Harry Potter. Um, and I'm looking forward to, to writing them all eventually. My favorite is probably the black dragon and that's on EAD. Um, so you can read that on my EAD community. I have a couple of chapters up. I don't know how many chapters are up of the black dragon. And that's where Zier um, time tra pushes Harry Potter and Hermione Granger back in time. Um, 
because Harry was murdered. And Harry is a spirit when he's sent back in time. He's been haunting um, basically Godric's Hollow since he was murdered. And um, Giles says I have seven up. So I have seven chapters up of um, D um, Black Dragon. And um, it's uh, it's my favorite one. I really enjoy Zir as a character. Um, and I one of my favorite scenes conversation with Hermione in the room of requirement and um she tells him she doesn't believe in gods and he's like I'm sitting here right here I'm a god <laughs> I'm sitting right here <laughs> and she's like whatever <laughs> it's one of my favorite scenes because it speaks to her in um her um her deeply rational mind and um and I just I really enjoyed writing that scene a lot and you know his being so shocked like I'm sitting right here I'm right here I'm a god I'm right here and um so uh yeah it was just it was really funny and it really amused me to to write that scene so but yeah time travel is definitely my um my number one favorite trope to write um and I love friends to lovers and um soulmates uh like I said and um I love courtships. I loathe, I loathe marriage law fix. I, there are so many consent issues in marriage law fix. I can't even with it. It's, it's as bad as ABO personally. I can't even, I can't even with it. I just, I, um, so no ABO, no, um, marriage law. I, um, I like second chance at love. That's a really good one to um to do as well. I really enjoy it. Um I think that probably my favorite of my stories when it comes to that kind of second chance at love kind of thing would be um blank space. I really enjoyed writing blank space. Hermione is a grown ass woman who has a history and has um, her own goals and motivations in her own career. And she's, uh, she's, she's sexy and she's really on point and she's not, a you know, she's, she's there, but she also has this other stuff lurking in the background um, where, where she's denied herself things and where Harry, um, where Harry is concerned and um so yeah i i really enjoy um second chances at love as well so where do you usually get your inspiration for your romance stories there are so many out there so how do you make sure your story stands out i pay attention to that i mean yes there are you know there are like maybe seven nine plots and a million ways to tell them so there are only so many ways you can get two people together to fall in love get married have babies fuck a lot whatever they do you know so there are only so many ways you can do that but i when i sit down to think about an idea the romance even though i am a romance writer um, the romance elements are a given it's what else is around it that I'm um, um, that I'm focusing on as a writer, and I don't pay attention to. I don't set out to be original for the sake of being original, because that often comes off contrived, um, and trite. And I'm just I'm not there for it. Um, so I think um, <clears throat> I have people in the ask in the, in the past ask me how I got to where I am as far as like. Um, reader views and attention and just being knowable and I have no idea I have no idea how that happened 
Um, I used to like publicize my stories in uh, on Live Journal. That anymore. Um, I just I, I'm not on archive because I don't like archives. I like to be in control. Um, the day the day you see me on AO3 is the day I've retired from fandom. I mean, yes, there are some stuff that um there's some stuff on AO3 that has my name on it because it's translations and stuff, and there are some bookmarks. But the day you see me putting my own work on AO3, I'm done. That means I'm retiring and I'm moving on. Um, so I just I that's I just don't. I don't. But so I don't actually care about my audience building. I mean, I love my readers, don't get me wrong, but um, I write for me. Um, I write what interests me as uh, as a reader and as a writer. I write what I find fascinating. And so the last thing I think about is how readers are going to respond to a certain thing. Because you can't control that. You, I mean, you can't control that. And it would be lunacy to try. Because for every 10 people that really likes one thing, there's that one person who hates it. And they're going to get on your fic and tell you all about how much they hate it. I don't consider my audience when I'm writing. Now, it would be a lie to say that I have sometimes in the past hesitated to post things because of reader response. I recently took Phoenix down off my site because of readers. Um, I got tired of readers. I just got super tired. No, it was Pendragon Legacy. Phoenix is on... Um, wild hair. I took Pendragon down from my site because it's an excerpt and I got tired of people just poking me and poking me and poking me about it and it was infuriating. It was just like and sometimes it wasn't even like rude. I was just really tired and I, and I reached a point I, I, I can't even tell you what the straw was when it, when it comes to that. I just reached a saturation point on, on dealing with um people making snide comments about how I say that I have no that I only post completed works to my to my site and then oh but you have these excerpts Fuck. don't now you don't gotta worry about them done done deal it was just it, I just I just I reached a saturation point and sometimes you do but when it comes to the actual creative process that's about me Recently, though, I was preparing my EAD list because EAD is um, two days away. Um, and um, in fact, probably this podcast will appear for most people around on on or around Evil Author Day, um, which is 2-15-2020. Uh, and I was like, all my offerings are hit. Do I need to go scrounge up a slash one? Will people think I'm an asshole if I don't put? And I was like, why am I thinking about this? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's just about the story. It's about the story, Kira. It's about the story. But then, you know, I have in the past had people bitch about, well, you posted this, this, and this for this pairing, but I didn't get anything from my pairing. And how come that is? That's really rude. Well, it's not rude. It's just what I got. This is, this is, the, this is what I have. This is what you can read. And so, yeah, I don't, um, don't invest yourself in your audience that way. You just set yourself up for heartbreak. And honestly, I think a lot of times in the past, we've lost writers in fandom because of that. We allow people to intrude on our process 
and it creates situations where you get deeply hurt and um it, it and a stranger sometimes can can hurt you more than anybody else when it comes to that kind of thing because you let them in and, and you don't really know them you just think you do and you start to trust their opinion and you shouldn't now there are some tropes that are more popular in fandom so if you want to build your readership you need to focus on those tropes and some of those tropes are kind of unfortunate i think abo is really popular i don't read it but it's it's popular um even in harry potter and in harmony um Marriage law fics are stupidly popular as well. I don't read them, but they're popular. Soulmates are popular. Time travel is popular. Uh, but I, I still think at the heart of you, you should write for you. Write what moves you. Write what inspires you. And the audience will come or it won't. And that audience approval is so transitory. That building your foundation on it is just a recipe for disaster. Question number six. What are some of the technique, techniques you use to build romantic t tension between two people? I think a lot of people confuse romantic tension and sexual tension um, to their detriment. Um, I, I believe, personally, that Courting Hermione Granger is the most romantic story I have on my site, and there is no sex in it. Um, there's a lot of sexual tension in it. There's a lot of romantic um, And it's... Romantic tension, to me, comes from emotional intimacy and honesty. Um, vulnerability in your characters, uh, being open in conversation, like your characters being open with each other, being honest with each other, um, exploring um, moments that have been uncomfortable for them, exploring their happiness and their joy and their attraction. And that's where I build romantic tension personally. And um, so, because, so, you know, honesty and emotional vulnerability are really sexy and they're really romantic um, in the right circumstances. So question number seven, when do you know when it's appropriate to add a love scene in the story? Well, Chris Crink, well, Chris King would tell you, I don't. <laughs> she would, she'd, she'd tell you, Oh, I have to tell her all the time. Insert the sex scene. I um often, I mean, I, I'm going to be, I'm going to be perfectly frank in, there have been times in my past, especially in my professional past where I added sex to a story to pad the word count because I had to be at a certain word count by the end of it. And I'm like, I have finished this story and it is 65 K and my editor wants 70. So I'm going to go back through this thing and is put is, and, and put some sex in because when it comes to that situation, sex is the least is, is, is what you can put in that most if, if you put it in the right places doesn't impact your plot. Because you don't want to start padding your word count when you're short with things that will make you have to like you don't want to add a subplot. Now, granted, if there's no sex in your story, you don't want to add sex, right? Because that would be a subplot. But if there's already sex in your story, you can add, you know, sexual intimacy moments and sex and, you know, a blowjob here, a blowjob there, you know, 
really hot makeout session over here and just to, to pad your workout. And I've done it. I don't know a professional writer who hasn't in, um, I'm in the romance market. It's when you're running short. In most circumstances, I only put sex in when it serves my plot. When it first, and most of the time it's to further characterization and it's relationship building. Um, otherwise, I don't see any reason for it. And in fan fiction, I don't have to pad my word count. Um, because I just I'm making me happy and nobody else. And so I never add sex unless it has point, unless it has purpose. Uh and sometimes that purpose is just to amuse myself. I'm going to be honest. Because who else am I to amuse in my fan fiction but me? How do you determine if you must write or if it's just something that makes the story long, even if it's not really added as a plot of the progression of the story? I think a lot of fan fiction writers put sex in because their readers expect it. Like, you know, I have See, oh, I have to go back and add sex or I'll get comments. No, you don't. You really don't. So um, add sex when it has meaning. Um, and if it doesn't work for you, don't write it. And yes, there will be people who comment on it and go, oh, you, but you know what? I would rather someone say, hey, I really enjoyed this story than to have tell me some... To, to have someone tell me they'll be in their bunk. If one more person tells me they're going to jerk off to my thick, I'm going to lose my mind. I don't need to know about your inappropriate um, erections, y'all. I don't. I don't want to know. I don't want to know about your ladywood either. Just because I'm not discriminating here. I don't want to know about either one. And so, yeah. Just, I'm just saying. So write sex when it has meaning to you and your story and don't when it doesn't because it please yourself first. Do you have a favorite romantic book or a favorite romantic? Um, I do. I don't know how to answer this question um, as it pertains to Harmony, though. Um, my favorite fan um, romantic fanfic, fanfic is a story called A Message in a Bottle by Astolot, and it's in the Stargate fandom. Yeah, I said fanfic. I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting it out there. Um, my favorite romantic Harmony story... Um, my favorite Harmony story, story overall would be Sunset Over Britain by Bubman. So, let's leave it at that. My favorite romantic book um, would probably be The Bride by Julie Garwood. I'm a huge Julie Garwood fan. Um, so, that would be my favorite on that. Um, I highly recommend Julie Garwood. Um, especially her historical work her contemporary work but i loved her historical work i love the bride i love saving grace um uh i loved ransom oh, julie garwood she has my heart the buchanans yes i did i love julie garwood uh, so i highly recommend her as a um as a romance writer especially when it comes to her historical work Question number nine and our final question from the Harmony Locker. Um, how much of your romance writing is influenced by your own personal experience? I, okay. 
I do my very best to keep my personal life out of my work. Because, number one, my husband doesn't, wouldn't appreciate it. And number two, it's personal and it's private. And so, and also, that is the road to self-insert. And I find nothing more offensive in writing in general, whether it's original fiction or fan fiction, than a self-insert. I just don't like to read it. I don't. It, it's it's really that kind of insert is really arrogant. Actually, it's super arrogant, and I don't like it. And also, like you know, you 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 give you know writing is so personal and intimate already that giving out the intimate details of your life in the form of fan you know fiction at all just seems like a step too far. I'm already pouring my heart out to you on a, on a, on on paper. You don't need to know the inter, you know, on um, the intimacies of my of my marriage. So <laughs> that just that's just my take on it. It's always been my take on it. Um, are there things that I've written, like in sex scenes, that I've done? Absolutely. There's not much I haven't done sexually, um, outside of you know body functions. Because I don't do that. That's a no from the Kira. Honestly, it's weird not talking to you guys and not having Jilly to talk to, especially. But yeah, The Bride is one of my favorite um, romance stories ever. Um, I also really enjoy, if you've ever read, um, what's it? Um, Elizabeth Peters. Um, in later in the series, there are two books in particular that just blew my mind as far as like um, relationship politics and romance, and that would be um, "He Shall Thunder in the Sky" and "The Golden One," I believe it's called. Love it, freaking love it, Elizabeth Peters. <clears throat> but the bride is banging, and I really enjoyed Saving Grace as well. Sky is probably my favorite Elizabeth Peters book. I can't remember what books. I mean, there were several books that I read by Julie Garwood when I was a teenager. Um, we're actually probably early 20s, early and mid 20s, but I just can't think of what which ones they were, although I'm pretty sure I read The Bride. Um, I think The Bride was probably the most romantic, but like, that's my teenage brain talking. But I would also say that I really enjoyed the story in Ransom. I mean, sometimes I wonder if I go back and read some of these books I read in the late 80s through the late 90s, if I would still like them, you know? I know. I'm so afraid. So afraid of it. <clears throat> okay, so <clears throat> let's look at their questions. So Shara asked, um, when writing romance, is it more important to show the intimacy or the emotions? You mean physical intimacy? Because for me, I would prefer um, emotional intimacy over physical intimacy. I mean, you know, because I think romance is built on emotional intimacy. I mean, sexual attraction is what it is, but there comes a time in your life when that falls away. And if you don't have a deep emotional connection with your partner, um, then everything else just is just going to go to pot. So, um, I would, yeah, I, I definitely prefer lo love over lust. Um, I, I love a good sexy scene. I'm not going to lie, but I don't, I don't need 500 K of a good sexy scene because frankly, it doesn't exist. 
you get over a thousand words in a sex scene, and I'm like, can he come already? Remind me of a really bad sexual experience I had personally, where I thought, if this asshole, can I accidentally kick him in the face? Because I'm done. I've been done for like 20 minutes. Yeah, the the, the issue, I think the other side of it is that a too long sex scene but sometimes the flip side is too long wrapped around the axles on the emotions. Like a character is introspective about how they feel about the other character for like an entire chapter for like 5,000 words. And then often somebody, when it's written that way, it's often repetitive too. So they circle the drain on the same set of thoughts over and over and over again. It appears in four or five or six chapters. I hate that with a fiery passion. I hate it. That to me is telling the audience how they feel as opposed to in any meaningful way showing it. Because you can say a, you can say a lot more about how what the emotions are through the actions and through the occasional thought or through what they say to people, through how they change for the person they care about. That that all is much more telling than thinking through every encounter they've had together. Um, you see this like maybe like in Teen Wolf stories, or actually even in in Harry Potter stories and stuff, where one side of the pairing, like let's say Harry or or Styles, will think about every instance throughout canon where they have been in contact and how much it meant to them, and that is just like I glaze I glaze over. So. Um, so I think when it comes to physical intimacy versus emotional intimacy, uh, I think it depends upon what you want to write, which I'm assuming is what the question is, physical intimacy or emotional intimacy. Um, but I think the important part is to show the intimacy. That's, that's the piece that's really important for romance is the intimacy aspect. It's not the wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Wham bam, you know that is a that is erotica, you know. Focus the other side of it is, is that there is more to physical intimacy than sex. There, she's right. She said in the chat room that there's hugging and placing a hand on the back, and you know, putting your hand through your hair. Those kind, I would give up all of that for a very frank conversation. <laughs> right, which is why I said that it's more important to show the intimacy than the sex, because. Sex intimacy doesn't have to mean sex. It can. It can be part of it. But the connection is more important to me than the actual sex act. So people who are often very graphic and very descriptive, not all the time, but there sometimes can be a lack of intimacy when they're fucking. And that comes off stark and really um, unfortunate when it happens. I do not recommend I've, I find myself skipping a sex scene that pulls me in is often between a thousand and fifteen hundred words, or five hundred to fifteen hundred words, fifteen hundred words, not much longer than that. And it is actually more focused on the connection between them, the in, the the emotional connection, than it is on whose parts are in who. I mean, yes, a good sex scene has to me has usually has some explicitness, although I've seen some that are very vague that were great, but. The connection is a, so much more important than the banging. I'm not much of a hugger after sex. Things are hot and sweaty and uncomfortable. So whenever I see that in a, in a story, I'm like, come on now. 
I mean, I, I don't mind if like the characters kind of collapse on each other or whatever, but just that kind of like, if it's been really athletic sex, yeah, it's that's just kind of clinging and that that is a little. You need hmm. space to cool off. <laughs> it's like, you know, you stay on your side of the bed. I'll stay on my side. We can like pinky. We can hold on to each other's pinkies or something because I need to cool <laughs> off. Come on. <laughs> is it Zathera? Says the worst sex scene I ever read. They did it on the back of a moving camel. Well, I mean, it's not the, the the physics of it isn't what trips me up. It's the why. It's not hot. There's nothing interesting about having sex on the back of a camel. Thank you, Ellie. I really enjoyed writing Stackhouse and Markham together in Sentinels of Atlantis. But I think my favorite bonding would be Bates. I'll be right back. Okay. Um, I do like the communication, you know, and you know, physical communication is just as important as verbal communication. Um, holding hands, being close to one another. Um, but it's just sometimes getting it right in the narrative can be tricky. Because it starts to look like, I don't know, like, when you're telegraphing too much, it starts to look like stereo instructions. Does that make any sense? Well, right. Well, I think a lot of stories are written, like, a little too explicitly in that regard. You know, the disrobing of every single thing, the removing of all the socks, the removing of... um and and where the left hand is and the right hand and, and sometimes they're very like I had one I read one story where I just started laughing because um the character was really focused on the brand of lube and then there was this whole thing about you know um that they didn't want to use a cheap drugstore brand because it had these ingredients in it and I was just like Come on now. Um, unless it's their job to be like a quality tester for, you know, Sliquid or something. Um, what is the point of that? It just it, it just comes off. It sets a tone that's very clinical. And, and you almost can't recover from that, that, that tone. Because once you start off a sex scene with the, the author displaying their knowledge of good lube, which is what that was. It's really hard to, even if the sex scene is hot, it's hard to view the sex scene objectively as hot because all I can think of is that they wasted my time telling me stuff that I already know. Um, so it's just, I, it's just, it, it is a skill. Learning to write a sex scene is a skill. Um, but specifically in regards to romance, if we were talking about how to write sex, which is a different, really almost a different conversation than how to write romance, right? Because when it comes to romance, you, there's so many things to focus on that don't have anything to do with sex. So an answer to the question that got us here is way more important to focus on the, uh, to me, the emotional and burgeoning physical intimacy outside of sex than it for a romance than it is to focus on, you know, tab A, slot B. What I do find is that people who info dump in sex scenes info dump four times as much everywhere else. Oh, they researched that stuff. They were going to share it. <laughs> I spent 10 years trying to figure out how you could cure leather with urine. I'm using it. But Gene, but Gene, Nobody your readers don't care. 
Nobody wants to know. <laughs> I'm sure she didn't actually spend 10 years researching that part, but that book, that book did take 10 years to um, appear on the shelves. And yes, I'm still on that plane, Jean. I'm still on that plane. I may never get off the planes of passage. At least we have a good reference for the apocalypse. You're absolutely right. Um, if you have it, if you have it in print, because you know, our, if we have an apocalypse, our candles aren't going to hold out long enough for us to cure hide and make soap. I have hard copies. We're good. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next question was: How do you go beyond smut, and what? How do you? How do you go beyond smut, and what plot? To having a romance with a plot. Um, I'm like, I don't really care for the term smut generally. Um, yeah, it's erotica. <laughs> yeah. So think of it this way. So, okay. So let's say you are an erotica writer. This would this would be my if you wanted to move out of that space. So think of it as erotica. Um, the sex drives the story, and in an erotic romance, the story drives the sex. So if you're trying to kind of feel what the difference is, write a romance without any sex in it. Leave the sex off. Because if you if if you have been a PWP Agreed. writer, a PWP writer for a while, and so that's your comfort zone, and you really want to get into writing more, um, you really want to get into writing more more romantic. romantic plots then what you do is you just write stories that don't have any sex on screen you can allude to it but you just don't actually write the sex and then you'll get a feel for what the how it feels different to write a story um that is more plot driven also what i would also say is if you're not comfortable if, if, if you're if you expect your audience to react badly to you not having sex in your stories and that's entirely possible if all you've ever written is erotica um is that you're right in it and since this is a plotting workshop overall don't plot the sex just leave it completely out and then in your second draft look at it objectively and see where sex serves your character set your character or your characterization and where it doesn't and then make very concise choices about where to put sex in during your second draft and that will help you i think um grow as a writer is there any follow-up question about that? Erotic. So someone asked a question, uh, um, said something in the chat room I want to address. Erotica is not normally what I would consider sensual sex. It is explicit sex. Um, in most markets, sensual sex um, is, the, there's no there's no explicit terms used. It's described in very romantic, flowery terms. Um Sometimes there's purple prose, sometimes there isn't. Um, work has no place in the modern fiction market. And it's just an ugly word. It's a porn word. It's a word that that people who use words like box for the pussy use. It's just it's just a really ugly word. I honestly I think sometimes writers refer to their writing as smut so that it's kind of like they're doing it before somebody else can do it. Um, I kind of equate smut with trash. Yeah. So, I mean, you don't need you don't need to downplay. And erotica, there might have been a time there is sort of a flowery, um, 
So I would think like some early erotica might have been, I'm not 100% sure how you say this author's name, An An Anais, Anais Nin. Um, but there wasn't a lack of explicitness in, in their writing at all. So erotica is um, definitely, it, it can be purple prosy sometimes. It can be, have sometimes even a lot of, um, euphemisms at times, depending upon Anias. Okay, Anias. Um, so, but erotica in the more contemporary market now is definitely explicit. And the, ba the boundary really is that erotica is your sex is driving the story. So whatever story there is, is being driven by the sex. And you can have an erotic suspense story which means the story drives the sex and you know it's, it's reversing the, the paradigm the problem is in the romance market is sometimes people don't it's it can be harder for people to figure out where the demarcation is between an erotic romance and erotica and they're very different an erotic romance if you pull the sex out you should still have a story and a romance right it's but not, if you're building that romance entirely on sex you're screwed Right, which that would be more erotica. So, um, but then I read some hardcore erotica that was absolutely not romantic in any single way. Right. So, um, it's that romance in the mouth. <laughs> All right. The next question was, how do you write romance with an established relationship rather than a meet cute slash initial romance stage? Um, I think one of the best examples of this would probably be friends to lovers because they already have a relationship. Um, they're moving into um, something sexy and romantic. Um, but having been in a relationship for a very long time, you know, um, relationships and romance are what you make them. It also depends on how you define romance, right? Like, I think... Um... Yeah, I mean, when I was in my 20s, going out to dinner was romantic. My husband saying, hey, babe, you want to go out to dinner? That was romantic. Now my husband's like, hey, babe, I took out the trash. I'm like, oh, honey, thank you. Right? I think it's <laughs> I think it was romantic, romantic as fuck. <laughs> I think it's romantic when somebody gets up five minutes earlier than they have to so that I can have coffee. I mean... <laughs> so... And it's not cleaning the litter box. Absolutely, and that's honestly, some that's some romantic shit right there. And honestly, even in a new relationship, I've never been. I I don't write the typical. Usually, wouldn't typically write the 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 flowers. I I personally can't stand flowers. I think I think somebody giving you a bunch of dead foliage is really strange. Probably dying foliage is a strange, very strange <laughs> custom. Um, so here, I murdered these flowers for you, right? <laughs> now, somebody taking me to a botanical garden—that could be romantic. Good. Um, yeah. Well, the problem is, somebody one time gave me a flowering cactus. Yeah, I wound up in the hospital. <laughs> So, oh, no. No, I don't actually <laughs> find that to be particularly. I mean, maybe. I mean, you know, it just, it all depends upon the person. So the thing is, I think what's romantic is, and this applies to a new relationship 
as well as an established relationship, is two people who either know each other or who are trying to learn about each other and do thoughtful things to make the other person happy. That to me is romantic. Um, I wrote a short for the advent calendar that had an established relationship. I thought it was very romantic. That was my first Tony Rampart story. Um, there was a whole, there's a, there was a marriage proposal in there and everything. So, and it was, <laughs> it, but that was an established relationship. So um, when it comes to established relationships, I think it's just really important to focus on what and this is this is part of doing the character work, right? What do these two people know about each other that you wouldn't get in a new relationship, right? A new couple wouldn't know these things. What have they learned about the other that that they can show that knowledge, that intimate knowledge they have of their partner, things nobody else in the world would know. And do sweet, nice things for this person that they know so well, that they can give them things that literally nobody else on the planet could give them. And you can't get that with a new relationship because they don't know each other. And there's, so there's something, knowledge has the potential to give deep intimacy and romance. It's just, we just usually don't write it that way. You know, you know how your person, um, your person takes their coffee. You know how they like their tea. You know how, um, you know what their favorite candy bar is. Hey, I was at the gas station. I got some gas. I filled up your car. That's hot. Um, for someone like me, he doesn't like to pump their own gas. Um, and I got you a Snickers. <laughs> so romantic could be. Okay, so let's say Ian and Tony are in a relationship, and Ian is working, but. Maybe he's not super busy. And he sees that that Tony's team has been on the news. They had a child abduction case or something. He sees all this, right? So he knows his lover's had a shitty day. So Tony gets home. Ian's not there because Ian's working. But there's a, pe a pepperoni and sausage with extra cheese pizza waiting for him. The, the notes. So they know you had a rough day. I didn't want you to have to bother with dinner. That's romantic as fuck. That is romantic as fuck. I'm on, I'm on board with this. <laughs> when can I have this fic? <laughs> <laughs> But no, that kind of thought, thoughtful interaction is really good. <clears throat> Sometimes, you know, just like making your husband lunch in the middle of the night because you can't sleep. He gets up the next day. There's bowls in there with a little note. Here's your lunch. And we know Kira has done this. <laughs> I do it a lot. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to go make my husband egg muffins. I've heard this more than once. <laughs> <laughs> He likes egg muffins. They're really handy. Also, I got a little attachment to put in my pressure cooker to make egg muffins. I'm really <laughs> excited about it. Or is it my air fryer? I can't remember. Air fryer. It was my air fryer. I got an air fryer kit. Came with different things. Sometimes I do a quiche in the middle of the night. He'll wake up to a quiche. Now that's that's hot. <laughs> You go to bed with no quiche, you wake up with a quiche. <laughs> but seriously, though, like, you know, if, you ha if, if you're writing a story and your character is, is working their ass off and your other character is not, you know, uh, one of my favorite moments in, in, um, in Stargate Fix is when John shows up with fresh coffee for Rodney, just out of the blue. Yeah. Like, aw. And defend look, he brought Rodney coffee. And, it, and this is beyond romantic, but it also has an element of the, of, the love between them is all the times that John defends Rodney from 
you know, rogue citrus or rouge citrus, depending upon how you look at it. Um, but in uh, Kira's, um, it's like saying, I care if you live or die. Right. That that's that that's romantic as fuck. I'm on the lookout, so you don't have to be right now. But right in Kira's um, Hannibal story, um, Will making sure that the table got set properly was so so sweet and kind of romantic. <laughs> <laughs> he's looking out for the newbie girl you know who's who's it's just you know that's not the way you set the table because <laughs> you know Hannibal has to have a perfect place setting that was very cute um so there's things you can it, do it, because it's a moment where we'll see something that's going to make Hannibal unhappy so he corrects it so Hannibal won't be unhappy mm -hmm. and that's you can you can translate that to anything and anywhere right so that's that is in order to do that though you have to sit down, think about what are your characters like? What does their partner know about them that nobody else maybe does? And, or what would they love? What would make them happy um, that maybe other people wouldn't know about, but that their romantic partner does and have them do that for them. So you have to put a little bit more thought into it, but I don't think it's really. Um... I wrote a, thing, a short called It's the Little Things. It's a John and Rodney short um, talking about it, you know the little things that you know couples learn about you know learn to know about each other and how that's super important you know how they take their coffee um, how they like their steak cooked I mean, like if, if you had to go like if you're out and about and you you're gonna pick up lunch for your significant other do you know what to buy them do you know what to get them without asking them without texting them like, like if you go to McDonald's what um, what do they want if you go to Zaxby's, what do they want? If you go, to what are what are they going to be really thrilled to get? You know, there's a scene in Courting Hermione Granger where she brings him chicken curry to um, the ministry because he's working because he's working overtime and she's off. And she got the info from his brother that um, it was his favorite thing to eat, so she went out and got it for him and brought it to him. And so those kinds of little moments are um, really important for romance building, re you know, relationship building, for intimacy. Um, it speaks to care. Whether it's with your friends or with your lovers. So what's our next question? Um, you've talked about friends to lovers, but what is a general way of approaching crushes to romance without it getting creepy? Crushes can get really creepy. They can indeed. You need to avoid that stalker vibe at all costs. Because the last thing you want is to be, you know, editing your story and realizing that one of your main characters is coming across more like a stalker than a potential romantic interest. Now, I have seen a few stories that actually handled the stalker vibe in a way that was kind of okay. Um, but generally, I would say, be, be really careful about steering away from that. So crushes to romance. Um, I think one thing you have to do is that the person who has the crush, what's one possible way, is um, they have to really start seeing the person that they have a crush on as a real person. I think one of the ways to avoid a stalker vibe is to not let it set and fester and for them to get obsessed. Um which is where, you know, honest, frank communication comes into play. Probably more in fiction and then in reality. <laughs> to be honest. I mean, because sometimes you've, you've had crushes on people that you just didn't do anything about it. 
right? But in your romance, you you want that situation to go a certain way. So you would have the person who has the crush reveal their feelings. Their feelings um, in a way that seems natural and not contrived. And um, to where the other partner is receptive. Yeah, but they have to see each other as real people. If you have one partner who doesn't know anything about the person they've got a crush on, and they persist in not knowing anything about the person they've got a crush on, and that somehow leads to romance, it's going to feel very disingenuous and kind of creepy. Hello, Jenny. Oh, wait. Right? <laughs> We're not having that discussion again, are we? <laughs> but it's true. I mean, there's nothing there. There is nothing there. I don't really see Hannibal, um, um, Hannibal um, stalking a love interest. I think he would be like, hey, I want you. And whether or not they lived or not would depend on you know, how they would, you know, you know, how they respond. Are they rude in their rejection or polite in their rejection? I also don't think Hannibal would kill would would have killed that server girl in my story if 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 he because it was an honest mistake and he knew she was new. I think Hannibal is more likely to kill somebody for purposeful rudeness than an honest mistake. You know, dropping your drink in his lap, apologizing appropriately, you live. Throwing your drink in his lap and telling him to go fuck himself? <laughs> well, this is nice knowing this. make it. <laughs> There's like, I don't remember which story it was. I can't remember the context, but somebody puts the moves on Will when they know Hannibal is with Will. Yeah, they met at a really ugly end. Um, Hannibal wasn't pleased with that. Which is really, it is really rude to put the moves on somebody you know is in a relationship. It is rude. It is, it is, it is ugly. And that's another thing that we could talk about in this podcast. Cheating. I think, I find infidelity to be the most anti-romantic thing possible. So whenever I see like cheating fix, oh, this is so romantic. No, fuck you. It's not. It's illicit and disgusting. Yeah. The idea that. <sighs> okay. One part, one person's in a relationship and they getting together with your OTP and they're technically, they're still in a relationship with somebody else. It's, oh, they're fine together. It's no, that is not good. It's just terrible things about. I mean, I read, I read this story. It was recommended to me very highly. I've talked about it. I've mentioned it before, but I was just so upset because Tony was in a relationship already. And he runs into Gibbs and starts, ba and then they, they fall into bed together. And I was just like, ah, what are you doing to my unicorn? I need to go retrieve him and put him back in his sanctuary because that's <laughs> not okay. It's dishonorable and ugly and, and mean. And there's nothing romantic or sexy about mean. It's just. And you know. Personal honor is actually very important to me. And so whenever I see my. 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 My unicorns. Not exhibiting that personal honor. I get really bent out of shape. It is a dishonorable place to be. It's you know just communicate. Just say you know what I'm done with this relationship and I'm sorry. I'm sorry I hurt you, but this isn't working. All right, just just let it go. Just man up. Yeah, Scott doing some of the stuff Scott did, like creeping around outside of Allison's house and looking in her bedroom window and stuff. That's wait, didn't Derek do that shit too? But he didn't have a crush on the person he was doing it to. 
Oh, there, right, true. Yeah. There is, there actually, there, to me, there, it, it may be a fine, actually, I don't even think it is that much of a fine line. When you're looking at somebody's window because you desire them, that's your fucking peeping Tom, right? <laughs> but when you're doing it because you're mad at them? <laughs> or because you need them to research the monster of the week, you know, it's completely different. <laughs> It just yeah, is. POV is actually really important because I think both Allison and Styles have every right to be creeped out <laughs> by werewolves being outside their house peeping in their window. Well, it is creepy ass behavior. <laughs> that's why the term creeper appears so much. And the thing is, fandom recognizes it because that's why the term creeper appears so much in in, in a Dean Wolf fanfic. Because um, it is creepy behavior. But to me, there is definitely a difference. If it's from a romantic partner, that's just whoa, no. I'm interested in you, so I'm peering in your window. Oh my god, really? That doesn't sound like interest. That sounds like a crime. I, another thing that I find very deeply unattractive is emotional manipulation and blackmail. If you love me, if you trust me, you mean you don't trust me? Oh yeah, you don't. You don't love me. Do you love her more? Do you find her more attractive? I love literally anybody more than you, dude. Do my pants... Um, um, does my ass look fat in these pants? <laughs> my husband said that's emotional manipulation. <laughs> he said, I'm not answering that question. It's emotional manipulation. And then he ran away. <laughs> Actually, Joey is ugly. What it is what it is is a trap. It's a trap. <laughs> yeah, it is a trap. Yeah. There is a line, I'll say, there is a line between jealousy and envy. Right? And it's not all that fine a line. Mm -hmm. So. And both um, of them have the potential to be really deeply ugly. Yeah. Well, honestly, I think honesty is the, the foundation of very good communication um, in your relationship. Yeah. Honesty is very important. Okay. Um, okay, the next question's already been answered. And the shadow has, can we have that 25 minutes about Will and Hannibal later tonight? Because I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> Did anybody else have any more questions about, uh, about romance, romance? <laughs> I was like, what are we talking about? I don't remember romance. Did anybody have any good questions about romance? Is my straw less noisy? Because I noticed in the, when I was doing the recording, when I was editing the recordings, that my straw was making a whole lot of noise. And so I moved, I shifted to a smaller straw. I thought maybe the big one was causing more noise. Mm, I don't, I don't notice much yeah, difference. Is it worse than it was? Not worse, no. Okay. Okay, so someone because, asked, how do you okay. write a three-way relationship as in a triad? What steps to take? Um Equality, equality, equality. Equality with that, but not sameness. Because one of the things you have to bear in mind when you're writing a triad, for starters, make sure you're writing a triad and not a three-way. Because there's there's a difference between three people in a relationship and all three of them in a relationship with everybody else, right? And mm -hmm. two people sharing somebody. So there's like a really popular thing with like two brothers sharing a wife freaks me the fuck out but you know it, it is very and I'm, I'm talking about in professional works right there's a there's a romance genre that's very popular with two brothers sharing a spouse that is not what i would call a triad it's it's a something but it's not what i call that's, a triad 
it's a it's a it's a thing. So so decide which one you're doing. If you're writing a real triad, it is important that you have recognize there are four separate relationships that you have to deal with. Four. There are three pairings, and there is then the three. So that's four relationships to manage. So it's complicated. Um, communication. You have to right. watch your communication. And don't... Misunderstandings and tried relationships happen, but in fiction, they become this big contrived mess. People who are in triads either sort out their communication issues early on or it combusts early on. Because hurt feelings happen really easily. That's one of the reasons why you have to recognize, that's why I said equal but different, because I've, t I've discussed this on a prior podcast, but I, I was in a triad for a while. And um, everybody has to have equal weight in the relationship, but you don't, every, you're not all, you're not all the same people and all three relate, all four relationships are not the same. So, you know, one pairing will do, you know, two, two of the three will do some things together and the different two will do other things together. And you have to communicate really openly about what are you, what are you expecting to get? And, you know, you don't do everything. Honestly, you don't do everything as three. You pair off a lot, a lot, a lot. So. I would also say that it's actually very hard to do with one point of view. I don't mean to harp on that, but damn. But on the other side of it is, is, is you, if, if you're doing a triad, and we, we said it before and we'll say it again, you either have one POV or you have three. Yeah, because if you do one, if you do two POV, you, you implicitly are giving that third person less weight in the relationship. Because your reader doesn't know as, as much about them, obviously. And um... Um, so just... Honestly, writing a triad would be easier to do as an established relationship because the 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 dance that goes that happens to get people into a triad is strange. Um, and I'm not I don't even know how you would write it that it didn't come off weird, <laughs> like on screen. I mean, you can reference it, but to actually go through the motions of three people deciding to be in a relationship, um, it's a it's a strange little tap dance. Where people are wanting because, to say, yeah, something. there has to be that one person who admits to say, Hey, um, I, I need more than what I'm getting here, and that's awkward. It is, it is, or they say, I actually, I, I really want to be with you, but I also want to be with them. How do you feel about it? And more often than not, that will end a relationship. So you have to be sure to do it in a way that it seems genuine to the reader. Um, some ways people avoid that kind of thing is they write it where, like, you know, somebody somebody is born with two soul marks instead of one, right? And the triads are triads are common in their in the world. There are ways to get around the difficult getting to know you situation that happens, but I would say generally it's a little bit easier if you just land in the story with the triad already existing and then you can explain how they got together but to show that on screen it's it's going to be probably awkward that's just my thought i don't think i've ever read a getting together triad that i thought resonated well for me ever because there's an implicit you know kind of hurt feeling coming into that well what do you mean i'm not enough for you that's the implication 
it, it, it becomes a very personal rejection, doesn't it? I mean, there's other ways, there are way, other ways that, that it, that it can kind of, that they can, there are a lot of ways that a triad can form, which is kind of like a really like a whole different discussion sometimes. I would say probably the most common way it happens is there's a couple that brings a third person in. Um, that's more common than just three people. You know, I, I, I remember reading like in the 90s, a bunch of stories where a woman had like two men interested in her and she just couldn't decide between them. And, and then when she told them, I just can't make a decision, she wound up with both of them. Um, mm -mm. It always just made me roll my eyes. But anyway, because in reality, there'd be a lot of hurt feelings on, in that kind of situation. So I think the more common situation is there's an established couple and then they eventually realize they've both kind of fallen for a third person. Um, yeah, I would say two to three is would might be the easy. If you want to show the beginning of the triad, going from two to three is probably the easier approach than trying than going from none to three. None to three is a really difficult, you know, row to hoe. So <laughs> inability to make a decision is not a big feature. I think there was even a Red Shoe Diaries where the main character couldn't decide between two men and they all wound up banging in an elevator. I think. And I, I could have just been making that up. So that's, I mean, oddly, as much as I, I don't like the premise of that, I kind of want to see it. <laughs> but the thing is, that actually just is a pure sex thing. Probably not as improbable as three people who've never really known, have, ne have no connection to each other, ne negotiating their way into a threesome. It's just. I, I knew these two guys in college who like to fuck the same woman. No matter the woman. Um, it'll surprise none of you that they ended up together and they're now living like in, you know, married bliss with a couple of adopted kids in New York. Anyways, in college, before they acknowledged their utter gayness for each other, they made a habit of trolling for women together and fucking them. And it was well known on campus that if you wanted to get laid, they were game. Did I get laid? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say that if you want to do the beginning of the triad, the most practical way to do that is to do the couple who bring a third person in. It honestly is also, it, and the reason I say that is because it's the way it happens in real life most time in my experience. I've known a lot of triads, met people in a lot of triads that started that way. Um, I knew this one couple they they've been together for forever um like literally it's sort of the definition of the old old married couple and one of them was into bdsm and the other was not and they negotiated that the one who was um, into bdsm would be able to have a lover um his his boy as it were and he got very close with his submissive and his submissive eventually moved in. And this process took years. His submissive moved into the guest house. And so his submissive lived in the guest house and he, but eventually his, his, his long-term partner fell in love with the submissive too. And they wound up in a triad. And that is a very, I would say it's a very natural progression that somebody you're in contact with and that there's a level of intimacy with that is, Kind of unavoidable that there's the potential for feelings to grow and the relationship evolved so um 
So I would go kind of go that I route. The evolution of that in um, Darkly Loyal, where you know Harry married um, Draco to protect him, and eventually married Hermione because um, he wanted to. Um, he wanted to marry Draco too. He just used it as an excuse, and eventually, Draco and Hermione fell in love with each other. But Darkly Loyal is written as an established relationship because by the time you meet them, they're they've already done all that work. <laughs> Right. So you could either do like what Kira did in Darkly Loyal, where you start, you, when you start to transform, that's to be one of these two approaches is what I would recommend. And that you then explain in the narrative how they got together. Or you start with a couple who brings a third person in. And there can be a variety of reasons. It could be a friend that they just get really close to and they realize that they are in love with it could be the situation of where one of them is like a sex partner and feelings develop um so that would be my suggestion unless you want to do complicated because you could write a three people meet and decide to be in a relationship um i had okay so i had i had plotted a story a danny steve tony story I plotted it. I didn't write it, but I plotted it. Where <laughs> um, Tony went to Hawaii because of various reasons, and he realized that Danny was in love with Steve, and Steve was in love with Danny, and so he wants to try to facilitate this, but in the meantime, both Danny and Steve are flirting. Danny and Steve aren't getting together. In the meantime, both Danny and Steve are flirting with him, and he eventually sits them down for a conversation and says, what is going on? And what is ultimately decided amongst the three of them is he finds out that Steve and Danny had tried to be in a relationship, but that there was too much friction for them. And it winds up that Tony is the, he's what makes it work. Yeah. He's the lube. He's the lube in that cook, in that, in that sandwich. I don't know what to say. Um, that they both cared for him and they cared for each other, but there's something about him being there made their relationship possible too. So they wound up trying the threesome thing. Worked out. I plotted it. Ultimately lost interest in writing it. Mostly because I just don't enjoy writing Danny. Um, I, if I'd plotted that with Chin, I probably would have gotten a lot further with that, <laughs> that story. But anyway, I hope that answered the question or helped a little bit. Okay. Um, do we have any other questions? foreshadowing and fanfic for a romance in a sequel um i think foreshadowing on its own is just a thing i mean it's just the, the only thing worse than trying to figure out your your foreshadowing is to unintentionally for, um, foreshadow something you don't mean to oh hush <laughs> your reader starts seeing it and you're like i don't know what she's talking about not my pairing <laughs> Um, did, that's not what I intended. Fuck. Look at that. So I don't know if you, my favorite moment, and I don't know if it, I don't know if I would call it foreshadowing or what, is when I was trying to figure out when Gibbs and Tony were going to bang and they weren't even the pairing. I changed the pairing. I know. I'm just saying. <laughs> that's, that's unintentional foreshadowing right there. Yeah. Or unintentional that's, sexual tension. Definitely unintentional sexual tension. Um, Okay, but in terms of romantic foreshadowing for a romance in a sequel, um, I don't know if you've read it, but my story, Unobstructed Views, was genfic, and there's romantic foreshadowing. 
for the sequel. So that's exactly what you said. Um, and I did that with a very subtle references, um, just some kind of illusion. It was all towards the end. And actually most of it comes, there's a little bit in Styles' point of view, um, when he just has this moment when he kind of feels something building between him and Derek, it's very um, right towards the end. It's but subtle. It is subtle, th this moment he has. And the other, but most of it, the, the awareness of it, the foreshadowing is from Noah's point of view because he sees it. He sees the, the chemistry between the two of them. And he also sees nothing's happening, which he's of course perfectly happy with. But he, and I believe he thinks something along the lines of that, you know, he saw something building there, but he wasn't going to think about it right now. So the, the parent, the story is Jen, but I put, you know, it says right there in the chat room, hints of future Derek Styles, because uh, yeah, there is a little bit of foreshadowing that they're going to be together in the sequel. So I'm going to give you a popular media moment, just foreshadowing. For those of you who have watched the movie Sleepless in Seattle, um, I forget his name. Tom Hanks's character, his son calls into this radio show, Dr. Marsha. That I remember. It's hilarious. Okay. So, um, and he talks about how his dad is sad and not sleeping because his mom is dead. And um, he, she finally berates this poor man onto the phone and starts talking to him. And he asks her, what was it about your wife? What was the, was the spark? And he talks about when he met her and she put her hand in his. And he said, and just like that, it was over. It was done. I was, it was, um, it was everything. And you remember that moment because later in the movie, when his son has gone off to meet Meg Ryan's character at the top of the Empire State Building and he's rushing across the country to find his kid who's like under the age of 10. It's like ridiculous. And he's a nervous wreck, right? You know, to find his kid. And he finds his kid and Annie, that's the character played by Meg Ryan. She didn't actually show up because she didn't think he would show up. The father, he wasn't there. She was um, she wasn't going to meet the kid. Um and um the kid's up there and Tom Hanks's character goes up and gets him and he's so relieved to have him there. And he's so, and, and the kid's really disappointed because Meg Ryan's character didn't show up. And then she comes through the doors of the elevator and there's father and son. And there's this moment where, cause he wasn't really interested in meeting her, you know, and he offers her his hand and she puts her hand in his, and then they kind of just all three shuffle into the into the elevator with the same exact walk. <laughs> <laughs> and that is like this beautiful moment of foreshadowing because without seeing the rest of the movie without because he already told you. He um he's already told you about that moment and here he is having that moment again with another woman's hand in his own. And it's it's beautiful. It's beautiful and that is romantic foreshadowing <laughs> you'll never watch it the same way again he talks about the wife and the whole time meg ryan's character is listening and um, he talks about how she peels an apple and meg ryan's peeling an apple but there you know there are a lot of moments in the movie that have that but that that thing with the hand was the most memorable to me if you um yeah i remember the apple thing the way she would sit there and peel the apple um mm. if you are writing a genfic and you want to foreshadow a couple and you want to do it very subtly you just need to give some it's like subtle moments between that 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 cup that pairing 
Um, Moments of care. Right. Earlier we talked about thoughtful things. This is where thoughtful things really come into play. Right. So it could be something that's completely, and if you're doing genfic, you probably would keep it innocuous. And this would be foreshadowing for a future story because you don't want to do foreshadowing within your own, within, within the same story. Like you're foreshadowing the pairing early on is a little bit different than foreshadowing for something way in the future for another work. And the reason I say that is because you want to give the, the idea of a bait and switch. So if you get too overt with it, it feels like you've promised a pairing that isn't there in a way. So I think for that, it's just like make the moment subtle um, and get people invested in their chemistry together. And then you've kind of telegraphed your pairing for your next story without outright beating the reader over the head with it. Yeah, I read a story. This is on the topic of bait and switch. This isn't about foreshadowing. But the author, it was a rare pair. So I read this work in progress because... It was a rare pair that I was interested in. And um, I read the author notes as I was going along. Because, she, you know, there's probably like 10 chapters by the time I, I picked it up. And so the author notes, like in chapter two or three or something like that. And she had been telegraphing chemistry between this this pairing. Like, whoa. Like, I was all in. It was this rare pair. And I was like, yes, this is great. This, the chemistry is amazing. And then I get, like, to the author note in, like, chapter two or three or something. And it says it's she has a poll on her Tumblr or something about what the pairing is going to be. And, like, 90-some-odd percent of people, and there were, like, hundreds of people who responded, picked the pairing that she had been telegraphing, the one that she had been building the tension for. And so she, so that's when she tagged the story for this rare pair, because it was tagged with no pairing, apparently, up to that point. So at the start of the next chapter, there's an author note that says, wow, you guys overwhelmingly want this pairing. That's why I've, I've updated the tags to reflect this pairing, and that's what it's going to be. So I'm reading along this work in progress. This is one of the reasons this story is like, illustrative of why I don't read works in progress. So we get to like chapter, I don't know, 15, 20, whatever. It's, it's cruising along. I get an update. I go to look. The tags have changed. And she says, I just can't not write my OTP. So she changed the tags and switched the pairing to be her OTP. Did she change the story? No. So all that chemistry and all that buildup that she had done and done quite well was suddenly there, but all of a sudden, this guy, the, the guy that were, you know, like, the, the person squinting. the person who's not part of her OTP suddenly becomes a dick. And the other character winds up with the more conventional side of the parent. I was like, the bait and switch was just, it was ugly. I was like, this is what I get for reading a work in progress. This is what I get. I regret all my life choices. And I should just not read writers. I should just put writers on a do not read list who do polls. Well, I for, I have to admit, okay, so this, 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 I probably shouldn't admit this, but I'm going to admit it. I did not leave a comment because I wouldn't do that. But I took great satisfaction in reading the comment section. <laughs> great this satisfaction. This is what I want to do. I uncudo you. <laughs> I want my kudos back. There were like 40 comments on that chapter. People pissed off. And I was like, I wouldn't have done it, but I'm really glad this is here. I feel better. (laughs) 
which is terrible because I should have been silently judging all those awful commenters. But instead I was like, yeah, right. You tell her. I'm like, no, this is awful. I feel bad. <laughs> when my, when my id is at war with my values, it's terrible. So anyway, any more questions about romance or should we give a few minutes to, because it is, we can talk about how well they did the physical stuff between Hannibal and Will without getting into the, the dead bodies. So if there are no more questions, I'm in for, you know, five or 10 minutes of talking about what about that works so well. For me, the, I don't know if this was because the actors were very comfortable with each other because they knew each other from another project and because they had that um, prior experience together and there was a lot of trust there. Um, but there was a lot of um, physical intimacy with Will and Hannibal almost from the beginning. Like there's lots of touching. Um, there's lots of, um, I mean, there's, I mean, clearly it's comforting and you don't see Will jerking away from Hannibal when he touches him, um, when he's in his space. Even when he's delivering lines like, did you just smell me? He's not moving out of Hannibal's space at all. He just asks, did you just smell me? Smell me? <laughs> and Will touches Hannibal's stuff. I mean, in every when he goes to his house, when he's in his office, he's always touching his stuff. Touch, it's touch, very touch, touch, touch. Yeah. It's like, I want to be all over your things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if Hannibal were a son. Would you really say, I want to be all over you, but I'm not how, so I'm going to touch your stuff. <laughs> it makes me think of Hannibal as a sentinel. And Will is like telegraphing, like, I want to be sure you smell me in your space. <laughs> all your space. On all your things. I don't want you picking up this pen without thinking of me. Right, and, and am I the only one who's like a really deep breath when he pinned it up against that ladder? Or was it, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? Fuck you. It's not going to happen. <laughs> it's all I wanted. And there's the scene when they're in front of those awful, that window, they're in front of the window, those awful, awful red striped drapes. I, I swear to God, Hannibal designed his office to be as uncomfortable as possible. But anyway, tangent. They're standing over there, and Hannibal walks up behind him, and he gets so close, and he says, we're her father's will. And I went, oh, my God. My ovaries are about to just <laughs> explode. It's so good, and the tension between them is magnetic. And so rarely, there, was, there were definitely times they touched, but there were so many of the most intimate moments, there was actually no physical contact. Because there is something about being in somebody's space they can be very threatening or very intimate. You don't have to be in contact with them. You just have to be inches apart, just a little bit too close, you know? It's just, it's perfect. They did have a lot of nonverbal communication that also spoke to their intimacy as well. Yeah, I mean, they, sometimes you can see Hannibal giving Will a look and Will be like, I know. I mean, <laughs> they had the eyebrow <laughs> trash talk down, like almost from the minute they met. Did you see that shit? Yeah, I saw that shit. <laughs> they do eye fuck. Um, so there, but in, when it comes to romantic tension and like the one of the convert discussions earlier, where Kira said, you know, that if if we weren't doing, she wasn't doing Harmony and Company, that she could go off for twenty minutes on Hannibal and Will. Um, that is really a great example of 
incredible build of romantic of tension that is intimate. It's not, I mean, there's that, there's sexual chemistry there, but it's the intimacy. I mean, you feel like they must be old souls who have known each other forever because almost from the minute they met, it's like they had some moment of recognition and they just kept building on it and building on it. And it was, it was divine. Now they have, honestly, they have something very similar with Styles and Derek early in the first few seasons, but they put a little too much violence in it, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. So I get why Phantom was all over it because Derek was in Styles' space in a way that he wasn't in anybody else's. Um, so I get it. I totally, I mean, I totally it, get it. You could, you could probably theorize that Derek Hale is touch-starved. That he spent so much time pushing people back and pushing people away that he's literally starved for physical affection. And Styles is very safe mm-hmm. and doesn't push him away, no matter what. Derek and lets does. him get in his space. Yeah. yeah. So, and then there's a lot of things that happen between them, and then it, you know, and then the show, the show producers really played up for a while their their chemistry. I mean, MTV put out those awards those fandom awards and you know the the they put the list of pairings that for people to vote on and styles Derek was on the list and then all of a sudden mtv's butthurt about people expecting styles and Derek to occur in canon i was well, like queer baiting right yeah so you guys have been feeding this monster but there was they did do that thing they did the thing the getting a little bit too close a little too in each other's space um a, a kind of a little bit of a lack of physical boundaries with each other. And you have to do that very carefully because you don't want it to come across as creepy. And occasionally with Derek, I do think it came across a little bit more as creepy, but it does help. I agree. Queenie makes a point. It helps when the actors sh- ship it. And I do think Tyler Hecklin and Dylan O'Brien shipped it. I also think Mads Mikkelsen and Hugh Dancy shipped it. And that really is what makes they it They still work. ship it. Yeah, they definitely do. <laughs> I saw that tweet they, somebody put. I saw that tweet in the in the Hannibal group where somebody put up that they had tweeted um, Brian Fuller and asked him what they talked about on that long drive up the cliff at the end in the last episode, and um, Brian Fuller responded that their mouths were busy. <laughs> he also someone pointed out that there was like several hour gap between their arrival to the cliff house and then the cliff house events. And he responded with, well, they did change their clothes. It was really needed, yeah. They did change their clothes, yeah. Night, Zathera. I hope I got that pronounced right. But in any case, good night. Um, okay. Can I, I'm trying to think of any other case of where there was just really good physical chemistry between... Okay. Honestly, I really do believe that the reason why the Tony Gibbs ship was as big as it is is because the two actors actually had good chemistry. But, you, was, saw, but you saw that chemistry fade. fade. It did fade. So it in made the me first, yeah, worry first, that the two weren't getting along in the background. I think they did, but I think that they just changed the dynamic of the show so much after the first two seasons. I don't know if it was. The- the cast change up or what happened but the head slaps really increased in frequency and gibbs got a much more abrasive personality but those first two seasons they had really good chemistry together physical chemistry um 
So I think there are cases where there is good chemistry in the to start, or and then they kind of just destroy it eventually. Oh yeah, Kirk and Spock have really good physical chemistry in the in. I think they good casting as well because Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto have really good chemistry together as well. Um, I think the chemistry is actually better in the reboot than it, for Star Trek than it is in the original. But mm-hmm. the, the 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 original wasn't. It was good, but I think I think they just really nailed it in the reboot. Um, yeah, Sherlock and John and BBC. I mean, there's a reason why some of these pairings become so big, and it it has a lot to do with the physical chemistry between the actors and I'm not trying to imply anything about the actors, but I mean, the way they portray their characters mm-hmm. is just super dynamic and it works so well that it is really easy to put those slash goggles on or not. In some cases it's not slash, but I will say most of these are slash pairings just because there are, there are more good male characters and there are good female characters. Plenty of female characters, but a lot of them are just flat as pancakes. I actually, I actually never personally didn't really see a lot of chemistry between um, Hotch and Reed, except in like one episode. Um, um, let's see. Yeah, I do think there was also some good chemistry between Q and Bond and starting in Skyfall. So, yeah, Lady Hulk, there's great chemistry between Thorne and Bilbo. And so, those are, you know, when you're, I think when you're looking for examples of how to write or what to write or what to look for or what little things to do, like go look at like the, the, the a fan's favorite episode of Derek and Styles together or the, the best episode of, you know, the, the latter scene with Will and Hannibal and really look at what the nuance of what's going on between the characters there. And like, that's what you're going for, right? A little too close, a subtle touch to an elbow, it doesn't have to be like a slap on the ass, right? <laughs> Actually, it really shouldn't be when a slap have, on the ass. That's yeah, that's that's goes beyond tension. But yes, you characters come into each other's spaces instead of having your having somebody close to them, have them relax. But only around this one person. Like if, like if another person gets too close to them, they will tense up, move away. Don't make it obvious. Don't like an obvious tense up. Like have them just shift out of their space, move around the room, so it becomes a. Um, so that you, so that the reader sees a difference in, in how they physically interact with other people, but if you have them react, you know, with relaxation and um, pleasant surprise at being close to some to um, um to their potential romantic partner, it create um it will help you create intimacy. I do something like that in the sequel to Unobstructed Views, which is where um, Derek only relaxed. The only, the only people he lets close to him is his pack. Um, but the difference for, with Styles is, so he's relaxed when they get close to him. He's learned to accept touch from them. But when Styles comes close, Derek moves slightly closer. So I had to kind of find some way to make a little bit of nuance between just the, because he's, he's learned to accept touch from the pack and to have them in his space. So they approach him, he's fine, but he usually doesn't do a lot of approaching back. But when Styles comes close, Derek moves in. He leans into that, so... I had to figure out some way to get that nuance in considering that the whole pack dynamic and that I wanted the pack to be very tactile. Yeah. I think that whole puppy paw thing is really cute. Isn't it adorable? I, I love that trope. I adore it. That werewolves get comfort from 
being close to one another. It's adorable. Yeah, I see at your point, Dark, that with Hotch, Hotch was very respectful of Reed and he wasn't dismissive of him and he was important. He was careful to point out Reed as being a PhD and um, Dark made us a puppy pile. <laughs> I'm not sure who in the pack is the poodle. Actually, that's probably Isaac. <laughs> Answered your own question. <laughs> Well, if we don't have any more questions, we can go ahead and end this podcast. Um, I want to do some writing before I go to bed. Um, tomorrow, we're doing the decision tree. We're going to talk about uh, creative decision making and ripple management. Um, this is a really inter- this is a really important skill to have when you're um, plotting, so that you can try to manage the fallout. It is, you know, I don't want to say that I'm expert at it because I'm not. I mean, I'll be 100k into a fic and go. F- and find something that I've not properly managed. But what we need to do is develop skills so when this we rails get bent around the axle and six months later the project still isn't complete. Which is something that happens to all of us. So putting tools in our toolbox to manage the situation and to try to get as much out of the way in the plotting process as possible before we get to the to the actual writing the better it will be Ursula that toolbox is ridiculous are you laughing at my middle name I am Ursula that <laughs> that's what you went with that's what I went with how come you get an evil disney villain and I got a knock off from sound of um sound of music don't be bitter <laughs> I'm a, I am I am currently a, a fairly moderate sized chunk of pink Himalayan salt right now. <laughs> All right. Hold on. Hold on. No, I'll fix okay. it for you. I'm gonna it's fix okay. it for you. It's okay. I'm fine. I'm fine. I am fine. It's okay. I mean, I take great comfort in the fact that stabbed in the chest with a ship. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, I, <laughs> I hope that you guys had a uh, this was really beneficial, and you're looking forward to tomorrow, and that you're learning a lot during our workshop, and um, all that jazz. And happy Valentine's Day for those of you who um celebrate it, um, because it is technically Valentine's Day. It won't be Valentine's Day when this goes up, but that's beside the point. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe I'll get a wild hair up my butt and finish the whole thing tomorrow. I would not hold out for that. <sighs> Her name is Marie in the Aristocats. Okay, I'm no longer salty about it. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm okay with it. I'm gonna go find the pink bow. I'm fine. That, that's I'm fine. epic eye roll, too. <laughs> and then the 15th of February is Evil Author Day. It is also International Fan Works Day. Which we don't even know what that means. You know. Especially now that we've all got a Evil Hugo. Author Day. It's Evil Author Day. Someone asked me if I'm participating. It'd be really weird if I didn't participate in my own fanfic holiday. Just saying. Anyways. Um, you guys have a fantastic evening. And we shall catch you later. Say goodnight, Jilly. Good night, everyone.